Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. Welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Oh, the holiday season. The lights and tree are up at the Disneyland Resort. The festive spirit of the shoppers as they rush from store to store, carrying their piping hot apple ciders. The joy of the faces of the children in Southern California as they play in the first snow of the season. The crisp winter breeze that brings us down to those bone-chilling temperatures of, well, like 60 degrees at night. But the thing that really differentiates winter for me is that it's really hard for me to line up guests for the show. Something about people wanting to be with their families this time of year, it really is strange. So rather than have an eight-week gap like we have the last couple years, I wanted to fill the hole with something besides reruns. Now, it may surprise you to hear it, but Tales from the Jungle Cruise is not the only podcast in the world. You know, we're not even the only podcast about Disney and Disneyland. Apparently, there are what seems like endless numbers of podcasts that are out there to share people's experiences in the resort. Just think about that. A multitude of voices all crying out through the internet that the park is too crowded and that churro prices are through the roof. Well, we here at Skipcast are friends with a few of these lovely people who have podcasts, and back in the spring I was privileged to be asked to be on the Sweep Spot podcast. The Sweep Spot is a weekly podcast that is hosted by ex-custodial cast members who share their unique view of the resort. They asked me to come on and talk about my time at the park, uh, the Jungle Cruise, the podcast, and just generally have the bright and bubbly personality that you all have learned to tolerate week to week. Now, they can also be found on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, uh, the Sweep, S-W-E-E-P, spot. Now, look, I do realize it seems slightly narcissistic that I'm posting an interview with me from another podcast, but I thought it was a good segment and that it actually had some actual value and we talked about some new things. Oh, and the first part of the podcast they recorded is has a bunch of Disney news. It was from the spring, so most of what we're chatting about is really not timely. But it is an amusing time capsule of the troubles and news of the ancient days of May 2014. So without any further ado, uh, here's to Borrowing Content and Season 4, Episode 10, an episode I call Borrowed Content. Kungaloosh, everyone. The Sweep Spot is a member of the Mice Chat Podcast Network. MicePod.com Now, the magical kingdom in a mixed up world. world. You're listening to episode 128 of the Sweep Spot Podcast where former Disneyland cast members talking about Disneyland history, interviews, and more. Hope you enjoy. You're in the Sweep Spot, baby. Yo 
listening to the Sweet Spot Podcast. My name is Lynn, your host, and my co-host Ken will be joining us in a little bit. Uh, tonight, we're going to be having uh, Skipper Kyle on, and Kyle has his own podcast called Tales from the Jungle Cruise, and that's C-R-E-W-S, and it's a great podcast. He has uh, former skippers from different time periods throughout Disneyland's history, and I think you're really going to enjoy his podcast and the conversation that we have uh, a little bit later in our show. And he's going to also join us for the news with Tommy, and we're actually going to go and do that right now. So I hope you enjoy. Hey Tommy. Yes, sir. What's cooking? Uh, Disneyland is cooking because it's really hot. Really? Boy, is it hot! Isn't it hot, Ken? Oh, it, how hot is it? <laughs> it's so hot that uh, we're inside our houses with the air conditioning on. That's how hot it is. Wow. Yeah, it's days like this where I just would shake my head when I'd see people buy popcorn and then they would want to put more salt on it. I'm, I'm yeah. like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, hmm? exactly. Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, all this uh, hot weather is caused by what we have here in in, in uh, Los Angeles and Southern California, which is the Santa Ana winds. And the high winds have shuttered Disneyland resort rides. Did you know that? Yes, they couldn't run the Skyway. That's right. <laughs> the Skyway could not be run. That's right. Well, strong, hot Santa Ana wind gusts blew through Southern California late this week, forcing the closure of a few attractions at the Disneyland Resort. At DCA, they closed Silly Symphony Swings, the Golden Zephyr, and uh, Lynn's favorite, Jumpin' Jellyfish. Yeah, but the Golden Zephyr, um, as part of that attraction, if a duck passes gas at the direction of that ride, they shut it down. I mean, I, th- I think it has like a 10-mile-an-hour <laughs> wind that will actually bring that attraction down. Yeah, I, I don't I, – you know, I think I've been on it about four times in my entire life. And uh, it's, always, it's always like, oh, it's open. Let's go ride it. <laughs> you know, that's the only time we've been able that's to ride it. Four more, four more times than I've been on it. So that's, There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Still haven't gotten on that jumping jellyfish yet. I don't know. Anyway, oh, they also cordoned off the Mad Tea Party area and access to the Monsters, Inc. attraction because of all the temporary rigging at the uh, in that area. So, because uh, the you know Mad Tea Party has just uh, all that, uh, you know, lights and oh, right, uh, right. rigging for the lights, rigging for the... Uh, stage and um, and speakers and those hanging lanterns and things like that. So <clears throat> anyway, so they they uh, just um, closed off that area so uh, they don't want something to fall down and hit somebody. And then over at Disneyland, they closed down the horse-drawn streetcar attraction, and the maintenance workers also took down the hanging flower plants from all the light fixtures on Main Street in the hub area as well, so they wouldn't blow off and hurt somebody. <laughs> wow, that's different. It's yeah. always good to get the, the horses out of the way. That was always a, a benefit when, when we were working on Main Street, to, to not have the horses out. I, I hear it's because the pixie dust was blowing in their eyes. Oh. Uh, <laughs> is that what? Yeah, is that why? Why do they do that? Probably the because they because the horses get distracted by the wind. Uh, Probably. Allergies and, and stuff and like that, that. Yeah, exactly, too. That, yeah. 
Well, and, and horse Claritin is a little hard to get this time of year. So, <laughs> yeah. they're on Bener- no, the Benadryl they take. The side effects of the, the horse Claritin. They start seeing green glowing butterflies going by. No, wait, that's Ambien. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, you know, th- you know, the last time my first story was about earthquakes. I know. This one is about the high winds. What's going to be next? That's going to affect Disneyland. Fire. You know? Earth, wind, and fire. Uh, locusts. The plague <laughs> of locusts. The locusts. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to report on <laughs> locusts. That's right. Exactly. Well, uh, speaking about uh, food. <laughs> In some countries, the locusts, you know. That's right. Exactly. There are some menu changes that have come to the Carnation Cafe. An old favorite is returning. Eggs Benedict on an English muffin with grilled Canadian ham. Poached eggs and holiday sauce with a side of coffee, the cafe's breakfast potatoes is uh, coming back to the Carnation Cafe menu for breakfast. And then also new on the menu is the sourdough bacon cheese melt made with Angus, chuck beef, pepper, jack cheese, grilled onions, hickory smoked bacon, and spicy sauce on grilled sourdough. Now that's a big bite of delicious. Mm. That last se- sentence was courtesy of Disney Parks blog. I think I make a T-shirt out of it. Now that's a big bite. <laughs> Nothing like a little heartburn. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then for the total indulgence, mm-hmm. end with one of the new ice cream floats made with Barks root beer or Coca-Cola or Fanta orange, and these are replacing the peanut butter and jelly sodas and chocolate cherry cokes. Oh no, so, not the P B and J. Did you ever try that? It's awful. I, I, I try to avoid eating at the parks. See, and I've got to say, <laughs> I've I've actually been boycotting the uh, ice cream side of that because ever since they took Walt's Fantasia ice cream out of the lineup, I, I just I've been boycotting as a political message that they need to bring that back. Mm, yeah. Uh, See what see what it's done. Nothing. Yeah, no, nothing. Not a thing has changed. <laughs> the, Fanta- the Fantasia ice cream was so much better than the Black Cauldron ice cream. Was... Yeah. Well, Fantasia was uh, it was basically like spumoni, but it was banana, cherry, and pistachio, mm-hmm. and it was uh, you guys know the history of that. It was actually Walt's invention and his concoction that he had the ice cream company make for him. Really, I didn't know yep. that. Cool. And now it's gone forever. Yeah. <laughs> It's a memory in our taste buds. And uh, coming over to DCA, Doc McStuffins is ready to give you a checkup at DCA. Mm. You know who Dr. McStuffins is, don't you, Ken? I, I sure do because I've got a, uh, a kid who's four and a half and another That's kid who's six and a half. And nice. thanks to Doc McStuffins, I get regular checkups from, from my kids. <laughs> I bet you do. And Doc McStuffins is making special appearances at Disney California Adventure Park for a limited time beginning May 5th and continuing to the end of July. And you will be able to meet her at the Hollywood Land near Disney Junior live on stage. And since debuting in 2012, Doc McStuffins has been one of the most popular television shows on Disney Junior. Doc is a nurturing six-year-old girl who can talk to the stuffed animals and and toys she cares for in her playhouse clinic, diagnosing their ouchies with help from her mom, a real doctor, and her big book, of boo-boos. The acclaimed Emmy-nominated series airs daily on the Disney Channel and Disney Junior. And if you have one, a little one in your family who would love to meet Doc McStuffins, you'll want to head out to Disney California Adventure Park this summer. And soon you will be singing, Ken? I feel better 
so much better. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, and if you want to meet her assistant, the hippo, just come over to the Jungle Cruise and just point at the hippos and <laughs> pretend. Tell your kids that's her hippo sidekick. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for the uh, Affordable Care Act episode of Doc McStuffins. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> anyway, Disneyland Resort promotes Earth Month. Did you know it? You know, it was Earth Month last month. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, what planet Earth- are we going to be living on uh, next month? I don't know. Well, Earth Month this month, which was Earth Month, actually April, Disneyland Resort and its cast members have been out in the community celebrating Earth Month at Museo's Trash Artist Challenge and Expo uh, that the Disneyland Resort sponsored in Anaheim. Cast members demonstrated waste reduction techniques and helped choose a winner that of winner of the art contest that encouraged people to turn trash into art. Now I saw now I took this from the Disney Parks blog and I'll put a link in the show notes. Mm. And somebody what they did is they took stuff one of the things you could see, they took bubble wrap and they made a uh, Olaf out of it. <laughs> out of bubble wrap. <laughs> that's art, <laughs> you know. There you go. So uh, that's uh, that's recycling your art. Anyway, uh, Disney volunteers also helped restore a natural habitat at the Heritage Museum of Orange County by planting 50 native trees and plants. And at the Children's Water Education Festival that the Disneyland Resort sponsored at the University of California, Irvine, more than 200 Disney volunteers helped 7,000 third, fourth, fifth graders in Orange County learn about ways to help conserve the local water supply. And Don't drink the, it. That'll, that'll keep it around. That's right. The Boys and Girls Club from the Orange County uh, from Orange County were hosted for private screenings of Disney Nature's Bears at the downtown Disney District. And third graders at Orange Grove Elementary in Anaheim were read environmental stories by the Disneyland Resort Diversity Resource Group. Hola. Hola. Did you know that they have a diversity group named Hola? No. There I did go. not until now, but I'm not surprised. There you go. And more more interesting things from the Disney Parks blog. I'm telling you. They're, they now have DIY projects. Yes. Do you know what DIY is, Lynn? Uh, mess it up mm-hmm. yourself before you Detective call somebody out or to fix it. I don't know. <laughs> are, are they encouraging people to build their own theme parks in their backyard? Because yeah, that doesn't right. sound like a do-it-yourself project that they really that's should right. be yeah, That's right. That's right, Kyle. DIY is do-it-yourself. <clears throat> oh. That's what it stands for, DIY, do-it-yourself project. And so and so, Aaron Glover from Disney Parks Blog has some ideas, uh, a way to uh, take your old park guides – and the maps and everything like that that you get from the park, and uh, you can make magnets from them. Huh? And they're actually it's a cool it's actually a cool idea. So I put a link in the show notes uh, and uh, check it out. It's pretty interesting. Cool. And then uh, I got some bits and pieces here for you. Uh, Mouse Info reports that Disneyland is getting a Frozen pre parade this summer before Sensational rolls out. Uh, inside the magic reports that the hashtag Disney side promotion has been massive. 
25 million plus users on the park blog side, 12 million plus YouTube views, and many more millions on other social media platforms. That's pretty interesting. I didn't, mm-hmm. you would not uh-huh. think that they would be have that type of reach, but that's pretty amazing to have that sort of uh, reach on your, um, especially on the parks block. 25 million. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, I got some ride closures, some attraction closures for you right now. Uh, this is a lot for this time of year. Pirates of the Caribbean, Indiana Jones Adventure, It's a Small World, Gadgets Go Coaster, Alice in Wonderland, Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage, Grizzly River Run, The Little Mermaid, and The Blue Sky Cellar are all closed for refurbishment right now. Uh, so, wow. yeah. just for, And you're paying how much to get in? And the Skyway. Yeah, and the Skyway. <laughs> skyway is closed because of the wind. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> so, the wind also closed the people mover. And, I yeah. know. Just, yeah, it's tragic. And that's too bad. That's a lot of, I was talking that's to a, a lot of rides. To, lot a, of rides. to a student at our school today, and she's going to Disneyland for the first time. She's like 14 or something. And, and so I was telling her all these, oh, you got to go this, this, this. And then I said, wait a minute, let me look up the. The refurbs, and I saw that, and I'm like, "Whoa!" You're like, save your money, kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, and you like, mean, without getting too deep into it, but the part of the reason why all the refurbs stack like this mm-hmm. is because they've got so many people coming into what used to be the off season. There really is no off season anymore, so they have a really limited window of time that they can get a lot of these refurbs done before they get, you know, coming out of the spring break season, going into the summer season. Or coming out of the winter season before spring break, it's the only time they can do those refurbs. That's true. They got to pick, pick something, and so this is probably yeah. The, yeah. Hmm, makes sense. Yeah, and finally, for my bits and pieces, Mickey and the Magical Map is dark through now through May seventeenth. That's great. I've always wanted that show to be a lot darker and a lot more suspenseful. You know, have a little <laughs> more of an adult no, element no, no, to it. No, it, go, it no. goes back to it goes back to the more lighthearted version on the seventeenth. No. Oh. no, dark means it's closed. It's a theater term meaning oh. that it's closed. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Finally, this week in Disneyland history. On May 2nd, 2006, at 9.02 a.m., exactly, Disneyland welcomed a 12-year-old Emily Mason of Colorado Springs, Colorado, as the honorary two billionth guest to visit a Disney park. Emily was presented with a giant golden key and a lifetime pass to all 11 Disney parks around the world. Wow. What a lucky duck, huh? Yeah. And my tweet of the week is from Stitch Kingdom, and he writes, In a special crossover episode of Doc McStuffins titled Big Book of Nabu Boo Boos, a Jar Jar action figure is broken and nobody cares. That's a conceptual joke. That that's I think that, I think that's a better joke written than, than read. I thought I read it pretty well. <laughs> you read it well. I just think the joke is a very conceptual Yes, but the delivery was good. Oh, delivery was great. <laughs> it was awesome. I I had a big book of uh, boo-boos when I was a kid, but my mom found it and took it away. Well, that was a um, I had those pictures in it that that was not supposed to be seen uh, by you, right? Mhm. So then there's the rails and then there's coming off of them. That's right. 
Like when the Jungle Cruise boat goes off the rails? There's no rails on the Jungle Cruise. What are you, you talking about? <laughs> that is skilled navigation on it the is. part of the Jungle Cruise skipper. Yeah, foot pedals. and It's an amazing... Uh... Feat of engineering. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Got to keep that magic there. <laughs> magic. Anyway, Doc McStuffins and Jar Jar and... Yeah, well, there you go. I wonder and, and, if Jar Jar would show up to DCA. Yeah, breaking news from the. the uh, see, I thought my kid. I thought something was going wrong with my kid. I just, she just yeah. lost another tooth. Breaking news from the. You know, this is something Doc McStuffins can look into. My uh, my kid just <laughs> lost another tooth. That's what I was hearing. Excited squeals, not uh, whines. I thought some kid was whining about staying in bed or something. But, oh. <laughs> so oh, okay. breaking news: uh, Doc McStuffins reports another tooth out. So. Great. There you go. <laughs> and Lynn, that is the Disneyland Resort news with me, Tommy. Thank you. There you go. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. The Jungle River Cruise, what many consider to be Disneyland's finest achievement. It compacts into a 10-minute experience the highlights, the mystique, and the excitement of a true-to-life adventure that could only be duplicated through weeks and months spent in the great outdoors. Covering the Jungle Cruise's five-acre waterways in sturdy boats, guests place themselves in the trusted hands of outspoken guides as they creep down rivers rarely traveled by the civilized world. Here, one encounters rich, mist-filled rainforests, crocodile-infested areas, pools filled with bathing pachyderms, the thundering Albert Schweitzer Falls, lion-filled grasslands, Boat charging hippos that are promptly shot at by your guide, and the rapids of Kilimanjaro. Of course, we don't want to spoil your fun by telling you everything you're about to experience. Besides, we think you'll find that your trusted guide will leave few things to your imagination. Okay, but this week we're going to welcome back a guest we had on, what, maybe a year and a half ago? Something like that. I right guess. in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, welcome back, uh, Skipper Kyle. Hey, guys. Thank you very much. I uh, had such a good time the last time that I had to come back and see how you're all doing. Kyle, you were a Jungle Cruise uh, skipper. I guess you still are a skipper, well, right? Yeah, there there are no ex-skippers. There's just people who are uh, in recovery from that lifestyle. <laughs> uh, we say that the, the Jungle River gets in people's blood, and there's no amount of transfusion that can get it out. So sense to me cool so yeah. you so it's a kind of jungle <laughs> fever then huh? it is kind of a jungle fever i will uh i'll give the nutshell i actually opened up california adventure at Malibuomer and the orange stinger two rides that are no longer there jumped over to uh disneyland in 03 worked on and off there until 08 and knew about nine different attractions and uh, business areas cool so you were there when we when ken and i were were there yeah, yeah. so there's the there's the short you know 10 second that's fine it's all we need Yep. <laughs> so uh i believe you know your podcast is uh tales from the jungle cruise c-r-e-w-s yeah we do that for legal reasons which is uh, mm-hmm. interesting because i understand disney has lawyers uh oh. it's a strange strange species that hides out in the jungle and tries to ambush skippers so try to avoid them as much as possible no, i like it it makes sense too yeah yeah and your podcast you've 
how long have you been going now with it? Uh, we're in our third year. Uh, we have had over 75 episodes, uh, had about 80 different Jungle Cruise skippers, uh, all the way from uh, people who worked during 1975, uh, all the way up to skippers who have worked through 2010. So we've had a, a really big diversity of people who've worked at the resort and have had a lot of different roles even outside of working at the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, I've enjoyed, you know, I listened to your um, all your episodes and I've enjoyed hearing about the differences, you know, that, that even just that one attraction, you know, you talked about the, the, uh, uh, women being able to, to be skippers, you know, and, and just obviously, you know, that's a bit yeah. of a, and some people in your audience may not know that, uh, prior to 1995, uh, it was a boys club. There were only mm-hmm. men on the jungle cruise, uh, from the park open for the first 40 years. It's crazy I, that I it went that, that long. I remember that. I remember that. And Storybook Land was female only. Yeah, Storybook yeah. integrated and added guys a lot earlier than Jungle did. Uh, add girls. So. And uh, I remember when when the first woman started working on the canoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, canoes were one that was very uh, canoes and keel boats uh, were also all male for a long time. I imagine most of the rivers of America was probably right. Yeah, yeah. Mark Twain. Yeah, and uh, and by the way, they couldn't run the keelboats the other day because it was too windy. Oh, <laughs> darn. <laughs> so yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the podcast and some of the things that you've learned over the over the years. You know, um, talking to different people from different generations, uh, different time periods of the of the uh, the part of the resort. You know, of the Jungle Cruise mainly. Well, it's, I mean, obviously, most of the people who work there, like anyone in the attractions pool, tended to work in a lot of different areas of the park. And there were, there were times where you'd have knowledge at the subs, Jungle Cruise, Haunted Mansion, and the Matterhorn. And there were people who'd been there to that point, and they had different knowledges in different areas. Uh, recently, I mean, the last, uh, you know, decade or so, they've really tied it down so you work in one land only. So uh, mm-hmm. you'd either be in New Orleans and Critter Country or uh, Adventure Frontierland or Tomorrowland or uh, Fantasyland and Toontown. They had like a West – didn't they used to have like, like – that's what you're talking about, like the West Side Attractions? And then- yeah, yeah. And, and at one point they had West Side Attractions, which actually was everything – uh, you know, mm. New Orleans, uh, Bear Country back when it was Bear Country. Right. Uh, uh, Adventure Frontier was one business unit, and then that split into two, uh, partially because the park was open so many more hours that they had a deeper labor pool, so the management had to uh, to supervise a lot more people. Oh, okay. And, and at one point, wasn't Jungle Cruise part of something called Narrations Attractions? Yeah, we go over that quite a bit. Actually, our, our last episode that just went up, we had a real key person uh, who was in the middle of the narrations thing, uh, Jesse Banda. Uh, who uh, was right there when narrations was happening in that 95, 94 to 96 period. And narrations, the concept was actually really cool where the Jungle Cruise skippers would actually develop a character and have unique props to that character. So you might be a butterfly collector. So you might have butterflies pinned to your jacket, and one to your hat. Uh, so, no, it was a really great concept that just was unmanageable with the number of people who knew the ride. Oh, okay. I think I remember seeing break room you know seeing different i'm wondering what that was okay mm-hmm. makes sense well and narrations i mean the concept is interesting because there's a lot of misconceptions about the jungle cruise mm-hmm. uh people think that it's part of the entertainment department because 
people are telling jokes and they're you know kind of doing a shtick. Uh, but there's really not training the way that you would if you were doing a show like uh, you know Mickey and the Magical Map or you know some of the other like parades or, or things like that. Um, you know it's trained really internally within the ride itself by the other skippers and by the trainers. So there's not an entertainment focus the way that a lot of people perceive it to be. What things you know you've interviewed? You said you've had what close to you know eighty. Yeah, eighty different cast. But a lot of times we have two or three people on the show at a time. So. Right. I I I like. The was it the episodes before this last one where you had I think where were you at we were like at a party or something yeah or? we were we were in um, uh, one of the canyons down in Orange County mm-hmm. uh, in back of Irvine uh, I can't remember the name of the canyon I used to I used to zero Womp Rats in my T sixteen down there but I can't remember the name of the canyon. Um, that's a Star Wars joke, by the I way. I, went, I think I went by there to pick up some power converters, but yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, one of the guys who had uh, been there during the 80s had about 30 Jungle Cruise skippers uh, over to his house for a big yearly party. And uh, I got to to go over and interview about nine or ten different people for the show. And it was really amazing because uh, people – there was a guy who was a silver medalist in the 84 Olympics wow. who worked at the Jungle Cruise. There are um, a number of people who are still working at the resort today who were there during the, the 84 season. So, yeah, it's really interesting that 30 years later – uh, some of the people have become uh, big shots in video production with the resort. Uh, a lot of people have stayed on, which was it's always a uh, amazing when you have that length of time. I I always say, you know, you just mentioned that you guys had a get you know a gathering uh, of you know former skippers or, or you know resort cast members, and I think that's cool because what what other job would you would you do something like that? You know what I mean? Hey, the former, you know, uh, baggers from Lucky's, you know, or, you know, or. Yeah, and it really, <laughs> Jungle Cruise in particular was kind of a fraternity, even when the, mm-hmm. even with the girls involved, um, you know, it was definitely a, uh, a group where there was a lot of camaraderie. People would hang out outside the work environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually, there was a bigger uh, thing that I taped at last October where there was over 120 ex cast members uh, from what was called Department 951, which was the Attractions West Side group. Mm. And we sat down and recorded with probably a dozen people, uh, had a really crazy couple of, of fun episodes uh, where we really, you know, got into what the things were that were happening around the around that time at the, uh, at the resort. And it's interesting because we hear a lot of the same things from people over the time. Mm-hmm. And we hear some, that there were really a lot of changes coming through the sixties and seventies and eighties. So yeah, it's, we, we hear a lot of similar things and a lot of very diverse stories. Yeah. Um, so what, what are some of the, maybe some of the, uh, similar things that, that you hear? I mean, you have to go into detail, but well, I mean, obviously, a lot of people are coming in for college jobs. So, right, right. you know, as as people are coming in, to some people, it's just a summer job. Uh, but, you know, it, you're working with a lot of people your age. So it's a very, very much a dating environment, mm-hmm. much as everyone would like to say, don't date Disney. Uh, <laughs> but, it, no, that was a big uh, thing that when we got trained was uh, our trainers on the attraction would say, look, we're going to tell you to do it and you're going to totally ignore us. But, you know. At least don't date your same attraction because you don't want to work with someone after a breakup Uh, because you're seeing the same people. Because when we were doing overtime, we would have 55 hours a week on that attraction, and we'd see the same people every single day. 
but yeah, I think, uh, you know, people came in in that college mentality. A mm. lot of people didn't really know what they wanted to do with their lives. They were kind of, you know, using it as a summer job. And um, a lot of people, it turned into longer careers or it was at least very formative to who they would become later on in their life. Yeah, like you said, some people maybe and some people maybe stayed longer than they expected or wanted to but yeah. it's really hard to i don't think if i had you know made the decision to move i probably would still be there today i mean yeah i mean i plan on going <laughs> back when i retire when i hit like oh, yeah. 60 65 i'm just gonna go work for the heck of it uh, I, I i loved the atmosphere and i loved the people i was working with i came into it a little later i was 30 when i hired on mm-hmm. so i wasn't part of the the party atmosphere with all the you know 19 20 21 year old you know kids who are working the ride uh but i got to see that and and kind of be a, a voice of maturity supposedly mm-hmm. uh, at least i told it imagine that. handing those 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 kids that uh those guns well all yeah that, and all it, that there, authority there were, to to shoot you know shoot those animals yeah well you know for war, six, actually warn them off you know yeah. For six years, the guns were actually gone during the um, the early aughts, the, during the uh, uh, like 2002 to 2005, I think it was. Um, well, the guns actually were gone because they had had some complaints. And, you know, there were a lot of – I don't think that, that Disney's ever had a definitive reason for it. Uh, we joke that it was uh, PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animatronics. Uh, they didn't like us shooting fake guns at fake animals in a fake jungle while we were cashing fake paycheck. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people would come into the into the attraction, and um, you know, Jungle Cruise on the casting side, when people come in uh, to casting, is the number one thing that's requested when people sit down with an interviewer. Uh, people asking for Jungle Cruise is the number one attraction uh, that's specified from casting. I bet. Uh, and yeah. and do you guys know what number two is? I know you might know, Link, because you've heard the show, but we oh, talked about I, it a couple times. I I forgot. Uh, well, people might request a tram, a, a universal tram operator, not realizing that that's not the same yeah. thing it did. Or, or or to work on the sky buckets or rocket rods. That's uh, to, right. Yeah, to <laughs> I don't know. That joke into the ground. They want to be, be in light magic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, actually, it's it's uh, the haunted mansion. Yeah, I was just going to say haunted mansion. Heavily yeah. requested, yeah. which I think it's the tuxedos. Yeah, it has to be. Well, and the whole people emo, like wearing those on a really hot day, you know. Yeah, what's the whole emo goth Jack Skellington popularity that's come up lately? I think is uh, has got some people who are really into that kind of a vibe and that kind of a concept. But yeah, but Jungle has uh, you know has a real mystique to it, and it was really a a bad boys club even from the '60s um, when it was an all guys club, and you know the girls who were working at guest relations or storybook. Uh, you know, I, I've heard over and over that they would come and hang out in the docks and ride the boats just to try to find out which guys were the cutest guys. And Jungle had the reputation as being uh, where all the great guys hung out at the resort. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, well, Golden Horseshoe had the reputation of some of the most attractive women. And, <laughs> but how does uh, Jungle Cruise, how does that camaraderie compare to, uh, you know, you've probably talked with guys who are members of the Order of the Red Handkerchief. Oh, yeah, for uh, Big Thunder. Yeah. Center? Yeah. Uh, no, I think there is. I, there's a lot of crossing over in the those streams. Uh, it's a lot of the same kind of people who, because that was a, an attraction that would be in the rotation. Uh, so a lot of people uh, ended up working Thunder as their second attraction after coming out of Jungle. Um, yeah, I, I think that the only other group that I've heard that has quite as regular as the steam trains. Uh, there's a lot of people who worked on the steam trains uh, back when it was an outside company. 
uh, even who still get together on a regular basis and still um, get together when they have the train days up in Glendale or Burbank, wherever they have the trains at. So we had a yeah, one of our one of our former cast members uh, from Custodial, maybe from the busing side, ended up working on the trains. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was going to say uh, we had a Custodial reunion. Uh, you were there, Ken. I didn't. I couldn't make it, but. There is quite, from what I understand, there's quite a few people. Uh, we met up at what is it at a park in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. We met in a, the first time we met in a park. The second time we met in uh, some sort of secret hall, undisclosed location. Where <laughs> we'd have to kill you if we told you. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I mean, just that, like we were saying, that you can get together. And- well, and even people. I mean, people traveled. Um, you know, the the thing last October, there were people who were coming from Seattle, from Texas, from Florida. I mean, there were people coming from all over the country to get together with a hundred of their closest friends wow. from the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Uh, so it really has held up as, as you know, a a very strong social group. And I know that there's elements of that all the way through the resort because as a job that's very formative in the lives of the the employees, mm-hmm. Disney was really unlike any other type of job where you you really combined almost being in show business a little bit, regardless of what role you played within the resort, it kind of gave you a little bit of taste of that um, being performing kind of a mentality. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it definitely, people clump together and they, uh, they've stayed together as friends and uh, a lot of people got married, you know, to their partners from having met them at Disney. So yeah, it's, it's exciting to talk to people and kind of see what their, you know, unique life-shaping experiences were when they were working at the resort. What were some of the things you you, you interviewed people People, what were the, some of the things that surprised you um, that they told you? Well, you know, it's it's a wide one. It's interesting that when I started talking to people from like 74, 75 or from like the early 80s, you know, my brain, because I'm chatting with these people and they're a couple, you know, 10, 20 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting to hear, you know, oh, it was like this and it was so different. You know, the training process, the way that the camaraderie was, the way they interacted with the guests has been consistent at the park really since the day it opened. But from my experience hearing it from people from the 60s and on have all told me in almost the exact same words what their training and what their their view of working at the resort was. Uh, it's been very consistent all the way through the history of the, of the park. It's oh, interesting. Yeah, because I was expecting to hear different things. I, and obviously, technology has changed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now all the cast members, you know, sneak peeks at their phones and run backstage and update Facebook. And I think it was probably a more social experience in the past when that wasn't happening. Uh, because I think people would have clustered together a little bit more. But yeah, no, it um, it was definitely very similar from that regard. Uh, the big differences are really where um, are really where I think I try to focus on and hear and you know and see uh, what was the, the real stark disparities between the different generations. Oh, okay. Because I mean, it's the biggest part of that really is that Disney was um, because if you think about what. You know, the country was going through in the 60s with the civil rights movement, for example. Mm-hmm. And you had a park that, that Disney was a little bit of ahead of its time in, in hiring people of different nationalities and having them be on on display for everyone to come through and see because Disney was a very global company. Yeah. So you would have people coming from, you know, states that maybe weren't as racially tolerant and they would come into an environment where they would be interacting with people of all different races and creeds and, and – uh, um, you know, really getting a different experience. You know, I heard one of the things I heard consistently 
is people would come in with with views of other races or uh, different sexual orientations and whatever bigotry or homophobia that they had Mm -hmm. was crushed by working with people in an environment where you had to trust them and rely on them and people just realize that that we're all you know we all have the same kind of uh, uh, core to our being and it's not like people are that different so people are people yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah I agree with I mean just working with that, different people. Happen, yeah, there's, yeah. You're working with a whole diversity of people because you're working on a common, you're putting on a common show, and you you might have differences with these people, maybe personality clashes or different political views or whatever, and you know you can still get along in the sense that you're you're working towards a common goal. Well, I mean, just imagine someone who, and this is. Um, kind of paraphrasing a story that I heard, but you've got someone who uh, comes in from the middle of Oklahoma and is coming out here to go to school and gets a summer job at Disney and is working side by side with the first African-American he's ever met as a person. Mm -hmm. And all of his family's prejudices, and I'm not specifying a particular state, it's just the the time, but all of his family's prejudices and the things that were coming out of what his faith had told him and all of that, totally got blown out of the water by how cool this guy was that he got to work with. And it changed the entire perspective of these people who were working in this environment. Um, you know, and it was tough. It was not always an equal party for for women who were working at the resort. Mm. And they weren't in leadership roles the way that they are today. Um, you had a very difficult time because you had the Vietnam War and the drafts. And you had a lot of young uh, people who would normally have been working at the resort who ended off going to war. So yeah, there's a lot of like cultural things that kind of became, um, you know, condensed down to a stronger form at the resort, and it it became and it wasn't even a resort, just it was just Disneyland. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it became something that um became very much a leader uh in the way that we looked at racial and sexual and uh you know, uh, LGBT emergence in society, things like that, very much um, got shown off at Disneyland uh, to a lot of people internationally before it was really being accepted in the United States. Yeah, I think it's a good idea for, I mean, even if you worked there just during your college years, just for the experience of working with others from all different, I mean, you can, I've learned so much just by doing that, you know, that I can apply to, you can apply to any job or any part of your life, you know. Well, and, you know, two points on that. One is that I, I've said for, you know, the whole length of the podcast is that if you're a kid coming out of high school and you don't know what you want to do with your life in college, go work at Disneyland for a year because you're going to work for a corporation. You're going to have a different kind of working experience. It's going to prepare you for the business world. It's going to expose you to people from every corner of the world that you're going to interact with as guests. Uh, it really is an eye opener for people who maybe don't have a clear focus when they're coming out of the out of the school side of things. That's true, and, and you mentioned just the different people coming from all over the world. You know, the guests, and never really thought about that, but I forgot. You know, that you run across so many uh, people have so many. You know, they have different cultures, religions, um, things that we don't we aren't aware of. You know, mm-hmm. we would have find people. You know, praying backstage you know or or just different things daily, that, daily call to prayer for the muslims that right, work at the right. resort yeah and that was actually that was something that as that um acceptance came in the resort had to make modifications to really work with that and, and take a look at it 
Um, you know, I remember we had, uh, I was working at Indiana Jones, uh, and there was an Indian yogi who came through mm-hmm. who was considered such a holy man in his culture that they actually put a small rug underneath him when he sat on the ride because he was considered so holy that he would never sit in the same seat as any other person. Uh-huh. And I ended up talking with him and his entourage through a translator the coolest guy ever he had the best view of the world you know he was just so happy and he's riding disney rides like he's a a (laughs) seven-year-old and having the greatest time because he'd never even known that this was something that was out there so yeah it's really um it's a place where you know we joke about where we uh, we say that magic happens and we use that phrase in a really trite way but it is a place where really magical and amazing things happen to people that are open enough to have them happen that's right. I was going to say something, but it wouldn't have been appropriate. But I guess I'll say it. Um, so we were talking about uh, the different changes in cultures and um, even in the restroom. You would notice that because we mm-hmm. clean the restrooms, you know. Yeah. There was a man um, going number two on a urinal. So, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, culturally, yeah. a lot of people don't know don't know what, right. you know. Uh, you have a lot of different food things. And the people who work there, and I'll give this, whether it's custodial or food, mm-hmm. the amount of preparation that has to be given to anyone who works at the resort to work with people of different cultures. And if you don't know uh, where to refer that to and how to handle it and to make those people feel welcome and ultimately to take their money and have them support mm-hmm. the support the Disneyland. So Yeah, yeah. I think Disneyland goes above and beyond that, you know, to make people feel comfortable. I want to kind of get to a question here. I think that probably a lot of listeners would like to hear. Um, and that's some of the stories that you've heard over the years talking to some of the different skippers. And of course, there's a lot. I bet, I bet that you've heard a lot of the same, like, pranks or jokes yes. or things uh, throughout. And it's but funny because everyone always you know, thinks they invented it. Right. So that's what I'm, and I'm just, I mean, it's like that, I think, with a lot of places um but what were some of the stories that stuck out to you that um that you like wow never thought of that or never heard well, that I, th- I think one of the more interesting <laughs> ones that i i actually just thought it was a one-time occurrence but it's happened a number of times um in the backstage area where the the boats are stored that are not currently in the rotation uh there's an inflow channel that leads up to schweitzer falls sorry to spoil the magic schweitzer falls is not a natural waterfall I hope no one's what? confused about. It. I know backside of water. Now we, we got to uh, put a spoiler on this thing. <laughs> um, you know, we should put spoilers on the back of the boat. That would perform so much better if that was. Uh, <laughs> it would just like get some good, you know, drag there. Uh, no, but uh, but in that back area, they had an issue um, where people who were working at the restaurants on Main Street took their mop water with all the soap and they dumped it in the the water that's back there that the boats are in, not knowing that that recirculates through pumps, goes up to the top of Schweitzer Falls and drops off, and all of that soap becomes bubbles. And there were bubbles waist high to the middle of the boats, (laughs) like, you know, four feet up within the space of like 20 minutes. (laughs) And they had to, I mean, they had to close the ride down. And this has happened a number of times where, you know, there's a contaminant that gets in the water back there and it just causes these bubbles. But I've heard that from people from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and in you know, modern day, everyone tells the story as almost like a little bit of, of uh, folklore that it happened when they were there and you know it was the first time ever. But uh, it's happened kind of <laughs> continuously as, as it goes on. And I, I can't imagine bringing my boat around the corner and running into a wall of foam. 
that's funny that you said that because I worked at the Plaza Pavilion when it, mm-hmm. you know, it was a restaurant uh, in the early 90s. And I remember them telling us, yeah, just dump the, <laughs> dump the bucket, you know, the mop bucket in the, into the – right? Because it's the backstage – you know, it's right there, the yep. backstage for yep. – <laughs> that's funny you say that because yeah, welcome, I, I, welcome all the foams there welcome to the jungle rave everyone yeah so i was one of those people that contributed <laughs> uh so there's that yeah. one that's kind of one that we've heard we you know we hear a lot of things about uh you know people falling in the river i think one of the the yeah. interesting stories that i just heard recently was there was a guy on his last day and um with the guns they actually had put a uh, restraining piece into the gun so you couldn't load a regular bullet but it wasn't there during the 80s. Mm-hmm. And someone actually brought a live round and blew a hole in the, in the top of one of the hippos, oh, like no. right into its head on his last day. And was, escort, was you know, not only escorted that, I think he was actually arrested for that. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there's a video that's out there that probably no one will ever see of a skipper on his last day, stripping his shirt off, jumping into the river, jumping on the back of one of the hippos and stabbing it with a rubber knife. Um, that's a fantastic one. Uh, I think the other one that I really enjoy, and it's because uh, it's uh, a pair of guys that I work with on the podcast side, um, that they've done a lot of stuff on my show and I've done stuff on their show. Uh, on uh, Trevor's last day, Skipper Trevor, uh, it was when the Aladdin show was happening back at the Oasis. Do you guys know that show? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, Trevor got into an Indiana Jones outfit uh, with the leather uh, you know, jacket and the hat and the whip. <laughs> and the gun holster, and in the middle of the show, he runs through the mouth of the the Cave of Wonders, jumps onto the stage, grabs the genie's lamp, and yells, this belongs in a museum, <laughs> grabs the lamp and runs backstage. And, uh, yeah, that that is – there's video of that online you can actually find on YouTube. Oh, that is great! Uh, I never heard that. Well, I heard it on your show, but I, before that, I never, never heard. Yeah, that. no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can link the video over. There's some really good stuff that those guys have done, and they, uh, they're wrapping up their podcast. They're coming up to episode 100, so they're actually going to sign off with the hundredth episode uh, after almost three years of doing the podcast. Their podcast as well. Um, anything else that you can think of? Um, you know, I uh, there's so many. I mean, you I know, know, when we yeah. we've done sixty or seventy different hours of of recording and uh you know the thing that that's tough is that a lot of the jungle cruise skippers did this job when they were in their 20s mm-hmm. and we all know that when you're 20 years old and you're surrounded by the opposite sex you are a walking bag of hormones yeah. and you sometimes do really stupid things for the sake of those hormones so i you know we've had a lot of podcasts uh, where we've interviewed people who are are maybe younger and have a more uh, outrageous attitude and the the episode really shows it we've also interviewed people who you know are in their 60s and who look back at with a different set of eyes on it so we have a really wide diversity we have a few explicit tagged episodes and we have a lot that are really good solid interviews in history so it's it's mm-hmm. a big diversity of of podcast episodes yeah i had a question about you know, you know the. Do you guys ever get a chance when you were working there? Did you ever get a chance to um, like to to be up and you know up close with some of the animatronics and, and on the islands and and kind of you know venture um, around? Yeah, there, I mean the the trainers and leads definitely did. Um, during you know this is just kind of a general discussion about mm-hmm. Disneyland is. As we came out of the 90s and, and came into the situation with 9-11 and 
the fact that there was so much more of a lawsuit-hungry society out there. Mm. Uh, Disney tightened a lot of their rules for backstage behavior in general. Oh, and one yes. of the things – yeah, and it, they just really had to. So, you know <coughs> – excuse me. You know, so there's a lot of stories that, you know, we, we would hear about. You know, they would go out to the uh, – uh, to the Velt, and they would have a giant picture of like 20 or 30 people of cast members on a day and they would just take pictures with the animals. Things like that just don't happen anymore. And the the jungle uh, actually has some really dangerous, uh, an- not animals, but insects in there. There's giant spiders. <laughs> so you really don't want to be out there unless you absolutely had to. Um, interesting little trivia though. Uh, did you, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, this on the back of one of the giraffes, there is one of their spots, and it's it's not visible to guests in the boats. But one of the spots is uh, in the shape of Elvis's head. No, I never heard that. I actually painted up, <laughs> and it's, it's the shape of Elvis's head. So, That's yeah, like, I, you know, one time I went on on stage at the Lincoln Show, and I checked out which books were up there on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a bit of trivia that nobody would really know unless they had the ability to actually go up and read the spine of the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's obviously with everything that happened, they they revised the way they looked at security. They revised the way that um, you know that they looked at the way cast members interacted because they had to from a, a legal and from a safety viewpoint. You know, you also have the story of the kid. I want to say it was late '80s, early '90s. Um, a lot of people, I guess, uh, what had happened is in the restaurants and stores, they were noticing that there were were things missing that had been there the night before. And they would find crumbs and they thought it was like rats or raccoons or something like that. Um, and after like three or four months of this happening, they checked the security cameras. And it turns out that there was a, a kid who was homeless who had uh, gone out to where the Indian camp is out on the river and was living during the daytime in the teepees. <laughs> and at night would come and sneak into the park after the park had closed and steal food. Wow. And then bring it back out. I guess it was like a, a few months that he was out there doing this. And obviously, you know, with all the modern security and cameras now, that that's, uh, would have been easier to catch. But at the time, it uh, it actually happened. I was going to say. Yeah. I don't know. I'll tell you. Uh, did you know that Doritos were invented at Disneyland? No. There you go. Something you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> at, at the uh, Casa de Frito. Uh, they were throwing away scraps of tortillas, uh, in the preparation side. And one of the guys said to him, Hey, you know, it was one of the vendors, you know, if you throw those in, uh, in oil and crisp them up and, uh, toss a little seasoning on there, your guests will love it. So they started selling fried tortilla chips at Disneyland as one of the first places that did that in a commercial venue. They started putting, uh, you know, the, the cheese topping on there. Mm -hmm. And the Frito-Lay company, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll send you the link for this if you want to link yeah. it over. But Doritos actually were invented at Disneyland. There are some things you didn't know. That's right. I did not. Uh, you have any questions for Kyle, Ken? I think, uh, I think you've been doing a really good job of asking them. <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it has changed over the years uh, yeah. with, uh, you know, there were things, um, 9-11 and the resort expansion made it a, uh, well, the strike, the union, the union strike in '84 was a big one. That, that, yeah, but but with the, but the late '90s, early 2000s did change a lot because of 9/11 and because of the rise of social networking and cell phone, you know, pictures and stuff like that. Yeah, and, so, and people wanting to know about what was going on behind the scenes. I think yeah. that um, Dave Koenig's book, uh, the the Mouse Tales books, 
made a huge impact on the way that people perceived the the park because they, yes, they got to yeah, hear definitely. stories for the first time about what was going on behind the scenes and it pulled a little bit of the veil up and then as soon as the internet hits anyone can find out anything at any time uh, it changes the way the company looks at their marketing and has them reach out in a little bit different way to people yeah I think they, they're pretty cautious on you know well everyone carries a camera now you know yeah yeah. Well, and, and there's pretty strict rules about those things. That's, you know, it's uh, if, if they catch you photographing something and it's tied back to you that you shouldn't be putting out there on media, they're pretty, uh, pretty aggressive about it from what I understand. And good for them. Yeah. Pro- protect the magic. Yeah. And for our safety at time, you know, it could be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For, for... All right. Well, wow, I think we've been talking here for a while. Um I think that's we good, could, that's a good forty minutes. We're yeah, back. I think we could uh, definitely do this again and have more to talk but about. We talk about we talk about things like um, the change in the LGBT community coming out of Disneyland and how they you know they weren't. Uh, everyone has this perception that Disney was a very gay friendly company, mm-hmm. and they were not. Uh, at least through the eighties, uh, very very you you couldn't get put into a management role if you were openly gay. Uh, and you know there were changes that came out in the '90s that were different. We have a great episode with one of the pioneers in the um, LGBT legal community, who was the mayor of West Hollywood for three terms, and uh, get into great things that happened there. Um, you know, it's just it's really kind of a uh, a big macrocosm of what all the Disney experiences are for everyone, and people just get to give their oral histories and do it. But it's it's a really amazing to hear you know that everyone has the same experience and yet a different experience at the same time. It's kind of a weird, you know, Schrodinger's job kind of a concept. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. How can people find, obviously you have a website, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been, uh, we're over on Podbean. Uh, it's jungle cruise, C R E W S dot podbean dot com. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S. Uh, we're also on iTunes, and you can just search either Jungle Cruise or SkipCast over on iTunes. And that's easy because you can just subscribe there. And uh, we're also on Stitcher. Are you, you guys are on Stitcher, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Stitcher's a great service. I, I love Stitcher Radio. Oh, yeah. Really easy to manage all of your favorite podcasts. Uh, but, yeah, no, we we love new listeners, and we love telling this story to a whole – different diverse group of people and uh, you know whether you worked in custodial or attractions or whether you're someone who's never worked at the resort but just loves you know hearing good Disney stories mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, you know we fill a fun niche we're a little uh, maybe a little more risque than some of you know we have moments where it we, we're not afraid to push the boundaries of of telling interesting stories mm-hmm. um, so it's a little bit more of an adult kind of a thing I don't think kids kids really would get what we're doing um but it's definitely um it's it's been interesting for me and it's changed the way that i look at the people that i worked with and the way i look at the resort in general well yeah. the, the, the disney uh, you know guest experience is is rated g or pg mm-hmm. but really being a cast member it can uh, get a little bit more uh adult in necessarily not necessarily in, uh in sexual themes uh but certainly sometimes definitely but there's we, also you know there's also just real life issues uh you know um, people have real problems or there is some sort of scary thing that happens uh 
you know, that's part of the experience of being a cast member, including being a Jungle Cruise skipper. Well, we have a couple episodes where we talk in depth about the um, the fatality that happened on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, mm-hmm. uh, the Columbia incident with the cleat that came out and killed the guest. I mean, we we're we're not shy about delving into some of those things. Uh, but yeah, and it, it that's the stuff that unifies people, and that's why the people who work in the attractions and at the Jungle Cruise are such a tight-knit group of people mm-hmm. because they're experiencing all that together. Our very first episode was horrible, horrible audio quality. We didn't know what we were doing. But one of the great stories that came out of that is we were talking about 9-11. And when everyone found out that the resort was closed that day and all the shifts had been canceled, the first thing everyone did at the Jungle Cruise was call their family and to call their Jungle Cruise compatriots and to, to make sure everyone was okay. Um, and when you are in a group of 50 or 60, 70 people and everyone's calling everyone else just to make sure that everyone's safe and okay, that's a pretty powerful statement about what that community is like. Yeah. I just 9-11, you know, I was, I think, yeah, Ken was there too during that time. I I remember my shift was canceled that morning and I didn't, I didn't go in, but... Um, the, the following day I did, and they had a ceremony at Town Square, and that was probably one of the, the quietest, even yep. in the middle of the night, uh, that I've ever heard, you know, it on Main Street, and probably one of the most, you know, somber, just uh, touching moment, you know. Yeah, I, I worked I worked the next day, and um, yeah, it was powerful. The, it was frustrating for me because um, they had changed the answering machine to the casting number for the area that I was working in. And it took them almost three months to change it back. So every time you called and it went to voicemail, you would hear the message that Disneyland is closed because of a terrorist attack or because of a an incident, whatever they call, said it at the time. Yeah. And they finally changed it. I guess you know they finally someone caught on to the fact that it was that. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was powerful. I mean, it was yeah. it was it changed the whole game for Disney. And uh, I, I actually think that it's one of the reasons why people are very critical of California adventures because it didn't have the depth of attractions and it didn't have what people were expecting out of the gate. But when you look at the fact that in its first year, there was a major event like that, Mm -hmm. that dropped tourism numbers by 30 or 40% for a few years. I mean, it really put a giant, uh, you know, hold on people's pocketbooks and people were not traveling. People were not coming to the resort. Um, I remember that they had, I mean, that for a while, California Adventure was open like 12 to 6. <laughs> yeah, I remember I that. I mean, because there was just no one coming and, and tourism had dried up so much after the attacks. So, yeah, but I, it's, you know, there's just a giant ton of stories. Where there's no, you know, even if I interview 200 episodes worth, we're going to hear different stories every single time. And it's, it's great mm-hmm. to have that oral history the same way you guys get, you know, the perspective uh, from your side. And from your guess about what their oral history is as well. Sure, uh, I you know every cast member that's ever worked there has their own story. Yeah, know. and that's we didn't want them to get lost. We wanted to yeah. to have everything recorded for history. So, you know, when the hundredth anniversary of Disneyland comes around, people <laughs> can go on their neural internet and uh, you know download episodes and hear about what it was like in '75. Yeah, that's part of the reason I started the podcast was uh, just to document uh, history and and even to interview some of these. You know, <laughs> been so lucky to have some some people like you know Rolly Crump and Bob Garner. I can't still can't believe it, but uh, for for those guys, 
you know, that worked with Walt Disney, there's going to be a time uh, very soon that we're going to be, uh, we're not going to have anyone that ever, you know, worked. Yeah, yeah the, the Club 55 people are shrinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a great, there's a great page on Facebook called um, uh, Cast Members, let me get the exact name here, uh, Disney Friends Who Have Passed Our Way. Oh, yes. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic, we actually have the guy who, um, who uh, runs the page on the podcast. He's a Jungle Cruise skipper, and uh, he's got a couple thousand members, and it's a great place that uh, cast members come to memorialize and celebrate the lives of people that they worked with. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see when these people who worked in 55 with Walt pass away, the giant swelling of emotion for these people who in some cases worked at the park for 40 years yeah. uh, or longer. Um you know, who really made a difference in the lives around them and in, in what we see Disneyland as being. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. The, um, everyone's got a great story and it's just a matter of, of spending the time and putting it out there. So, you know, you guys do it from your viewpoint. We do it from ours. It's, it's a fantastic thing. Yeah. I wish, uh, more, more, uh, former cast members, you know, would do, on their own departments, you know, like, you know, fantasy on attractions or, you know, tomorrow yeah. it would be yeah, kind of interesting, but, it, but it's not jungle cruise. So really <laughs> after that, it all goes downhill. That's the only one that really matters. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that. You said that you've had, uh, skippers on from 1975. Is that the earliest that you've had so far? Yeah. Um, se- yeah. 75 was the first uh, person we had on a uh, gentleman by the name of Kevin Cavanaugh mm-hmm. and Kevin's episode is going to go up uh, next Tuesday. So that would be, uh, sorry, the 13th will be his episode. Um, so yeah, no, we've got, he's the, the earliest, we have a couple people in their sixties, uh, who were there in the sixties that we're working on getting, uh, but it, kind of like every every layer in the strata we go back we get connected to more people it's kind of like uh podcast archaeology mm-hmm. oh, i can see you can find someone in the mid 70s and they probably know someone that started there in 68 and then you know yeah it just, just yeah. worked its way back so that's cool i I was wondering about that it must be really hard to, well and, and yeah. he was that he was there during the centennial during the the okay. 1976 uh, uh bicentennial celebration so that was you know, a crazy time in, in, for the resort. That was one of the biggest spikes in um, in visiting that they had for a long time because of the the celebrations on the country's uh, anniversary. Oh, I believe it. I remember the parade. <laughs> the, bi- the, the whole bicentennial celebration was quite interesting, considering that they they still wanted everybody to stay in the closet. Oh wait, no, it's nothing. Bicentennial. Oh, never mind. I was confusing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, eventually I think like you said you're going to get back to and I'm just curious if when if you even know the sensor when did the Jungle Cruise didn't start off as uh more uh comic comic comical? No, no, it it actually was a straight um, you know, interpretation of the Walt Disney adventure films that were were being filmed of the nature films. Uh Walt was a big conservator and a big lover of nature Mm -hmm. and what you saw were these great films where he would go to africa or it was the first time people would have seen 
an elephant in its natural environment because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have uh, you know the cameras that we have now. So there's a different type of, of broadcasting that they were able to do. So people love the true life adventures. They would see it on the wonderful world of Disney. And when Disneyland opened, Walt wanted something that reflected that. And his original idea was to have real animals there, but that was hugely impractical because they'd be asleep in the daytime. Yeah. So he got the great idea of using audio animatronics in the Jungle Cruise attraction to simulate these animals. And at the start, uh, even through the first four or five years, it was a totally uh, National Geographic level, no jokes, just giving people a tour of what this would look like if they went to you know, South America or Asia. And as time went on, a few jokes came in uh, as the animals looked dated and mm-hmm. as people got more exposure to what was out there. The humor kind of filled the gaps um, in between the reality and the fantasy. And as time went on. There was some expansion, right, with the Mark and Mark Davis touches that kind of added humor. Right. 64 was the first major um, revitalization. It was the last one that Walt was directly involved with. And that was the the Velt was added, which is the, the scene with the lions. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the Ganu, the gazelle, the gazebras, the giraffes. Um, I love that joke, gazebras. <laughs> um, and then the native uprising, which is the guys on the pole uh, that are being chased up there by the rhinoceros. That was added uh, 50 years ago this, this last summer. Wow. Um, and then there was another expansion in the 70s, which added the, um, the apes turning over the jeep and uh, the ape with the box of dynamite. Fending it off from a crocodile. There were a few things added uh, in the 70s. And then 95 was the biggest change uh, when about a minute and a half of the ride was cut off to make room for the Indiana Jones adventure. And then the new boathouse was built in 95 as well. Oh, that's right. There wasn't a two story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, the two. And it's interesting because the Jungle Cruise, for some reason, uh, 0203 started getting really popular again. And as the park got busier, we would see things like a line at the Jungle Cruise, which we we didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we would start to have to open up the upstairs area more often. We would have, you know, 40 minute waits, an hour waits while all the other rides were still up. Usually we only had that if a ride was was down for a reason. Um, so yeah, Jungle Cruise really got popular, and and now it's it's a huge anchor uh, with tons of guests that get to go through, and it's almost always busy now. They they don't have the steel drum uh, band anymore, do they? No, no, the steel drum band. Uh, I want to say '03 was the last year they were there. It was a, a Jamaican kind of steel drum band that would sit over the top of the tropical import store. Mm-hmm. And the problem was that Adventureland is really uh, kind of a narrow walkway, yeah. so everyone would would park their you know feet there, would listen to the the steel drum band, and nobody could get through. It would just block up the entirety of the walkway in Adventureland. Yeah, I remember they were up by the queue too on the boathouse. They were up there in that. Yeah, level. they were on the second floor of the boathouse. They yeah. were over the tro- over the tropical import. Oh, okay, okay. I I I forgot where tropical. They started was. out they before the boathouse was built. They would play down in front of the mm-hmm. bazaar. Yeah, yeah, they would play oh. on the on the main level. In a way, I guess it doesn't really fit in with the theming either, does it? I mean, uh, kinda. Yeah. Adventure, <laughs> but I mean, I, I how they changed it with the well, when you have Aladdin's Oasis right over there. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it mixes a whole lot of things yeah. together. So, 
and you have the tiki room with Hawaii. So yeah, it just it's that's true. it's yeah. it's a whole bunch of strange mixture of things. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we can like so we can keep going here, but uh, we're gonna let yeah, you that, go. That, that's the problem. Is I've spent three years, and I think the only reason I keep doing it is I don't know how to stop it. I know. I don't know how to not, you know, how to end it because every time it's a a new, different, better story, and then I meet someone else who has a great story. I just don't know how to stop it. Uh, <laughs> so luckily, people are still working there. So in a, you know five or ten years, hopefully, I'll still be doing it. Yeah, I was going to say if you are, um, you know, a, a skipper at Disneyland uh, or any of the Disney parks, probably, um, you know. Contact uh, me or Kyle, and I'll, or if you contact me, I'll put you in touch with Kyle, and I'm sure he'd love to. Yeah, we, we love if if you were a skipper or know a skipper who uh, wants to share their stories. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best way to to keep the stories going is to just take a listen to what we're doing and uh, pass it on to people who love Disney. It's it's a definitely a different take uh, on the history of the park, and you get to see a very different side of Disneyland. You, sure. you need to have Weird Al Yankovic call in. You know, the, Al has a definite place. Uh, Ken, let, let's tell the story. Al did a song called uh, called uh, Skipper, Skipper Dan, Skipper Dan, and yes. animated it. And I, I actually know a couple of the skippers who Al rode their boat, who they believe that they were partially an inspiration for that song. So, and uh, the, he, he'll he'll get up in the costume during the during his live shows, and, mm-hmm. uh, well, and, the, and the, it. it's and it's an actual Jungle Cruise costume. It is an actual. Yes. Uh, really? Direct from the ride, Jungle Cruise costume. It's not a fakie. It's the real one. So the uh, you know I think the biggest myth about the Jungle Cruise. I'll just debunk this one because I hear it all the damn time. <laughs> Steve Martin was mm, never no. a Jungle Cruise skipper. Never. Mm. But for some reason, people keep that one floating around out there. So. No, but Steve Martin did go on to direct Pixar movies. <laughs> what? No, he's he's referring to John Lasseter. Oh yeah, yeah. At at some point, I will contact the right person who knows John. I talked to his son worked on the Jungle Cruise a couple of years ago, uh, but John Lasseter was a Jungle Cruise skipper. Um, uh, Kevin Costner in '73 was a Jungle Cruise skipper. Um, the guys behind the TV show Psych uh, were not only Jungle Cruise skippers, but that entire TV show, all eight seasons is laced with references to the Jungle Cruise and the people who used to work there. Yeah, they were tied into, you know, they did, I know they worked other West Side attractions like the Canoes, and I think they had a band called the Friendly Indians. Or Which something. is still still performing. The Friendly Indians are still out there. So Disney Disney tentacles stretch everywhere. It, as we say, it is a small freaking world. <laughs> All right, I like that. Except, ind- except <laughs> that It's a Small World is down for rehab. So. Oh, yes, so true. we... Yeah, so it's not a small world right now, but in a global sense. Cool, guys. Thanks. I, I as always, thanks for uh, help with the promote promotion and uh, letting uh, other people know about it. We we're happy to do the same for you. Uh, we just love telling stories and bad jokes, and you know, Disney, uh, the Jungle Cruise has influenced more bad dad humor than I think any other part of popular culture with our stupid puns. So uh, we love keeping it out there. Great. Well, thanks, Kyle, from uh, Tales from the Jungle Cruise podcast. Thanks, guys. As we say on our on our podcast, Kungaloosh. Okay. Well, that concludes episode one twenty eight. I want to thank Skipper Kyle for coming on our show again. I really appreciate him coming on and loved all the stories, and I hope uh, you did too. That, yeah. Thank you. To, that was really good. Yeah, I, I think. The Jungle Cruise is a, is a is an attraction that a lot of people um, 
they want to hear stories. They like they like the jokes. They 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 go on the attraction. They hope for a skipper that you know is really funny or has some unique jokes or something different. You know, and, and I think that there's a big uh, I wouldn't say following, but a lot of people that that want to hear the stories. You know about that. And I yeah, think- and it's it's such an iconic uh, attraction. I mean, this is. Uh, it would be hard to imagine Disneyland, uh, the original Disneyland park, without it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, we want to thank Kyle again. You can check out his podcast. You can go. Um, I'm going to put links in all the uh, in the show notes for ways that you can find Kyle and his um, podcast, his website, and go to iTunes. It's where you can find Kyle. But you can also find our podcast, and you can leave a yeah. review. You can leave a review. And Please do. Leave a review, uh, and, and check out some past episodes you might have missed. Yeah, there's some. There's a couple good ones. and <laughs> just, just a couple. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you guys figure out which ones they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah go all the way back to episode two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll hear various... Uh, guests and hosts. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, there was that time that for a while you had Jane Polly, and then you re- uh-huh. replaced her with Deborah Norville, and then uh, Katie Couric. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are. Uh, <laughs> and if you love Ken's jokes, definitely leave a review on iTunes because we want to hear if you like. Yeah, and, and be pleased. You know, it'd, it'd be good to know who does because we can alert the authorities that you need to. You need serious help. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so go to iTunes, leave a review for us. You can go to our website and check out all the show notes and links to um, a lot of things that we've talked about. Uh, thank you, Russell. And on the website, you can find where you follow us on Twitter. You can go to Facebook page, um, the Sweet Spot. Just search Sweet Spot, and it'll come up. Uh, I think that pretty much does it. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk at you next time.